Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2. Whether we're talking about family relationships or our jobs or church or whatever area of life we might consider, communication is critical to our lives. We can have great plans and great goals and great intentions and all kinds of valuable information to share, but if we can't communicate effectively with others, it can make our lives pretty difficult and it can make the things that we'd like to accomplish almost impossible. I read recently that illegible handwriting costs businesses $200 million a year. It's the reason Kodak is stuck with nearly 400,000 400, unreturnable rolls of developed film each year. It's why the U.S. Postal Service annually sends 38 million pieces of mail to its dead letter office at a cost of $4 million. You see me smiling because it's also why I need a secretary for 40 hours a week instead of the 15 that Irene Nell works. She needs the extra 25 just to read my handwriting. You can have great things that need to be said, but if you can't communicate those things well with others, it really doesn't matter, does it? Well, today we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to look at one of the greatest pieces of communication the world has ever seen. You see, we're beginning a study today looking at the New Testament book of Ephesians. I want you to listen to what some have said about this great book. Ephesians is the highest point of New Testament thought, the queen of the epistles. Now, contrary to what you might think, an epistle is not a wife of an apostle. An epistle... Haha, uh-huh, that's a joke. All right. An epistle, too early for those kind of jokes, huh? An epistle is a letter. And this is considered by many the tops among the letters of the New Testament. Someone else has said, pound for pound, it may be the most influential document ever written. Within Christianity, only Psalms, the Gospel of John, Romans, and the book of Ephesians have been as influential as those books have been. And none as small as the book of Ephesians. Others have called it the Switzerland of the New Testament, the crown and climax of Paul's understanding of God, one of the most divine compositions man has ever produced. Someone else said it's the supreme Christian document, the greatest piece of writing in all history, the most comprehensive, the most complete, the most incisive and creative of all the New Testament writings, And because of its nature, while many do consider it an epistle or a letter, many have actually considered it a treatise, a statement. Some of the greatest Bible teachers and preachers of all time have indicated that Ephesians was one of their favorite portions of Scripture. Now, hopefully, that gives you some insight into how important this book is to our faith. And my prayer is that God will use this message in our study of this book together to open up our eyes to all that He wants to do for us and in us and through us. But today we want to focus on Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul had some incredible truths that he wanted to share with these people. But he had to have the ability to communicate those things well, and thank God that he did. Today I want to look at how he starts his letter so that we can understand how to start a good conversation. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Ephesians 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, or actually of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, 
to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that I want to share with you that I believe these verses bring out today, when we're considering approaching someone or starting a conversation with someone is number one, to know who you are. To know who you are. So many times when we're communicating with other people, there are many dynamics that are going on besides the topic of conversation, aren't there? One of those dynamics is how we personally view ourselves. If we have a healthy view of our own lives, if we have a healthy view of the roles that God has given us, the plan that God has for our lives, we are in a better position to minister to other people. Don't miss that. Did you hear what I said? If we have a good understanding of our role and our purpose and God's plan for our life, that puts us in a better position when we start a conversation or a relationship with someone else to minister to them. If we don't have a proper understanding of who we are in God, that can complicate things and it messes up that communication. You'll notice that Paul starts out his letter to them by sharing how he viewed himself. Now, let me point out as we start this, before we go too far, that in ancient times, they started their letters with by stating who it was that was writing the letter. Now, in contrast to us, we put dear so-and-so, and at the end of it, sincerely, Robbie Lankford, right? Now, sometimes you see in more formal letters, you'll see people put their name, address, or whatever at the beginning. But in ancient times, they would start their letters. And so that's what Paul does. He says, let me just identify myself. And as he does that, he reveals to us how he sees himself in Christ. We know that the Apostle Paul, at one time, was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, worst enemy of Jesus Christ. But now he tells them, he had become an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, if you want to look up Paul's story or his testimony, look at the book of Acts. It must be pretty important because it's written three times. It's given to us in pretty good detail three times in one book, in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, and Acts chapter 26. But Paul tells them that his life had completely changed. He had went from an enemy of Christ to now being one of Christ's messengers. That is what the word apostle means. The word apostle means messenger. It means someone who's been sent by another person. Now, in one sense, I want you to understand all Christians are apostles. Do you understand that? All Christians have been sent by God. We've been given a mission. Our mission is, he says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. We have been sent out into the world to tell this wonderful story. As Jeff prayed in his prayer just a little bit earlier, thank you, God, for somebody who came into my life and shared that good news. Well, that's what God wants all of us to do. So in that sense, we are all sent by the Lord. But it's clear in the New Testament that Paul and the 12 disciples had a special office of being an apostle. They were eyewitnesses to Jesus' life and to his resurrection. And apparently, according to Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, no one can ever fulfill that role again. I don't know about you, but if anybody walked up to me on the street and said, I saw the risen Jesus, and he told me that I got a message for you, I might say, okay, you're a weirdo. All right, where's the funny farm, right? There's not many people walking around anymore. Many, take off the M. There are not any people walking around anymore who were there when Jesus was baptized and when he did his ministry and when he died on the cross and when he rose from the dead. There's no one like that anymore. Paul knew that he had been called 
to be a special messenger by God and for God. And even more than that, not just a messenger in the sense of like us being a messenger, but one of God's foundation layers. Now, I want you to stop and think about that for just a moment. Can you imagine being a foundation layer for God's work? Can you imagine that? What if you were the one? What if you were one of the first 12 apostles or disciples? And what if you were the apostle Paul who was kind of the the strange one, the one who kind of came after the rest of them? But what if you were one of those early people? The only thing I can even remotely compare it to is many of you are part of establishing and starting a brand new church. Now, but there's a great sense of responsibility, is there? Can you imagine what it must have been like to be an apostle of Jesus Christ? And he says that he was an apostle, and actually I said Jesus Christ, but he says an apostle of Christ Jesus. I don't know if you've ever noticed that about Paul's writings, but where we usually use the term Jesus Christ, like most of the rest of the New Testament, and like Paul does in many other places, Paul often uses this term. In fact, almost every time it's used in the New Testament, except for maybe one or two other times, it is used by Paul. Now, he never says why that I know of, But I want you to understand that Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation. It emphasizes the fact that He is our Savior, and thank God for that. But Christ means Messiah. It means the anointed one. You see, kings were anointed. Priests were anointed. And that idea, for some reason, was important to the Apostle Paul. When he identified himself, he has said, when I look at the identity for my life, I am one who has been sent. And he says, by Christ Jesus, he emphasizes Christ. What is he saying? I believe he's saying Jesus is the king. Jesus is the priest. He is the anointed one. He is the one. He is the only one. He is the one that God the Father has sent to be our help, our Savior, our King. Maybe we should capture that idea more as well, shouldn't we? Maybe we like the idea that Jesus is our Savior, but maybe we struggle with Him being our King. The Apostle Paul said, I am an apostle of King Jesus. And Paul tells us that all of that happened by the will of God. Now, I want to talk about that for just a moment. By the will of God. Many people have different views of pastors and religious leaders and how they came to do what they do. I think this is very important to understand. Some people think that pastors or religious leaders came to do what they do because they earned that role by education. (laughs) I had somebody a few years ago that they were just trying to be nice, just trying to be respectful, but they called me reverend. And I, I try not to be ugly, and I'm certainly not correcting anybody when I say this. I'm just sharing my heart. When somebody calls me reverend, I say, you really don't have to call me reverend. Because if you know me for very long, you're going to see I'm not very reverend. I'm not, there's nobody should be called reverend as far as I'm concerned. That's just, I don't know whoever came up with that term. But anyway, they said, well, well you earned it, didn't you? And I said, well, I did. How? They said, well, you, got, you went to school for ministry, didn't you? You got a degree. So apparently many people have gotten the impression that if you go to divinity school or you get a master's, I call it pastor's master's, they call it MDiv or master of divinity, if you do that, then you are coronated as reverend. And so now you can all refer to me as reverend, okay? Other, I'm just kidding. Other people have given me the impression that they think that those who are in ministry became that way because they chose to 
or someone else chose it for them. And to be honest with you, I've met a lot of religious leaders who have told me that that's why they did it. There are people who have went into ministry because they thought that would be a nice thing to do with their life. Or maybe, uh, you know, I went to seminary. I just talked about getting a master's degree, and there's a lot of people there for a lot of different reasons. Some people are there because their mama told them, you're going to be a pastor. Or because their dad said, that's what I expect. Or because their pastor said, that's what you need to do with your life. But I want you to be very clear about something. It is very clear in God's Word. In other places, and I believe Paul's making it clear here, listen, anybody who is serving God, better make sure that God called them to do it. That this is what God wants them to do with their lives. I can tell you, and I don't mean to be ugly about this because I love doing what I do, but I would not be doing what I do unless I knew clearly that God had told me to do it. And probably for the same reasons none of you would want to do it either. All the struggles that we would have for that are the same kind of struggles that I have. I'm just a normal person. But God told me to do this, and that's the only reason I do it. Serving God in some special ministry is the sovereign choice of God. He decides what is the best thing for my life. He decides what is the best purpose for my life to fulfill. And it does not come about because I or somebody else think that it's a good thing. But I also think Paul's statements here is important for another reason. Being a pastor... The scripture does affirm is a wonderful high calling. And there's a great deal of responsibility and accountability that goes along with that. But that just happened to be the will of God for Paul and for me in particular. But did you know that God has just as important a will and a plan for your life? And in that sense, it is just as important that you fulfill your role as someone who is called to be a pastor fulfills their role. In fact, if God calls you to be a teacher, if God calls you to be a businessman, if God calls you to be a stay-at-home mom, but you go into ministry or anything else, you are living in disobedience. Isn't that crazy? Doesn't that seem weird? How could I possibly go into ministry and not be pleasing God? If it's not God's will for your life, then that is not what God wants for your life. We all need to ask God, do we not? God, what do you have in store for my life? What is the purpose that you created me to fulfill in this world? Whether it's full-time vocational ministry or whether it's something else in the world, which there's a lot of something else that needs to happen, right? Aren't you glad that people work on power lines and there's storms and they fix the power? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that people repair cars? And when you have a problem with your car that people repair them, aren't you glad that people prepare, prepare food? Aren't you glad that people are farmers? And I'm so glad that God's called different people to serve in different ways. Paul knew what God had assigned for him to do. He was confident of that. And listen, this is the point. No matter whether it's being a pastor or a missionary or some kind of leader for God and in that special sense, or whether it's to fulfill your calling in another way from God, when we understand what God has assigned for us to do and we'll, we're fulfilling that, that puts us in a better position to minister to others. Is it not true? Is it not true that when you and I are uncertain about where we are in God's will, it keeps us from being able to serve other people? Is that not true? 
When I am shaky, on shaky ground about, God, is this what you want for my life? Then I am focusing more on myself. I can't really think about how can I minister to you? How can I help you? Because I'm struggling with me right now. So I want to ask you something this morning. Is God wanting to settle your identity this morning? Is God wanting to prepare you to be better able to serve others and to minister to others and to, and to be a candle burning in the lives of others just like the song that was just saying? Is God wanting to do that by first of all doing something for you? You see, the Bible teaches that we can't give what we haven't received. God's wanting to do something for you first of all, then He's wanting to do a whole lot through you. Have you ever personally received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you found your life's identity through King Jesus, have you given your life to Him? And if you have given your life to Him, if you have received Him, if you have had your sins washed away and He lives in your heart, have you found His purpose for your life? Or, and and that, that may not be, you know, sometimes it takes a long time to find the overarching purpose. It was years of my life before I found the ultimate goal that God was leading me to, which was to, to come to New York and to start this church. And I don't know what else all the God's got ahead for me, but, but it took years and I struggled with being this and doing that and all these kind of things, but it all fell into place. Yeah, so I thank God I found the place. I found my post. Maybe you're in the prep stages, but what I'm saying is, do you know that today... You're in God's will. Today you're doing what God wants you to do. Maybe ultimately you're going to be doing something else out here, but today you're fulfilling what He has for your life. Is God dealing with you about that? You're not going to be in a position to minister to others until that is clarified with the Lord. Number two, though, not only should we know who we are, but number two, when we meet up with someone else, we should affirm who they are. Verse uh, 1, the second part of that verse is Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, most of the time, when you and I deal with other people, we have not settled who we are. We're not comfortable in that. So again, that keeps us from being able to focus on their needs and to affirm them. Friend, again, I know I've emphasized that, but I, I, I've got to continue to emphasize that today... Let Christ give you your identity. That'll be the first point. But because Paul was confident of that, he could go a step further. He was now in a position to express to other people how, how much he appreciated them, how much they meant to him, what he saw special about their lives. He says, I'm talking to those who are saints, who are in Ephesus. Now, when you hear the word saint, what do you think about? Well, probably a dead person, right? You think about a dead person. Actually, that's the best time to become a saint because then you can't mess up and have it revoked, right? If I could become a saint after I'm dead, I can't, no, they can't take it back. I can't do anything wrong unless they dig up something. But seriously, some churches see saints as somebody who lived this life, who did some good things, who had to do a few miracles, some things that, that kind of gave attestation that, that God was working their life, then after they die, we vote on whether we're going to consider them a saint. I'm glad nobody's voting on me. Amen? Aren't you? I'm glad nobody's voting on Robbie's sainthood. I'm glad that God has already voted on me. He's already said, I don't have to be dead to be a saint. I am already. If you're a child of God, you are already set apart. You are already special. You are already made holy. You are sanctified. All those words 
are words that describe what saint means. In the Bible, every child of God, every person who has personally received Christ and His salvation is considered a saint. Did you know that? Maybe you've never heard that before. Today, if you know Jesus as your Savior, and tell your husband and wife this, okay? I'm a saint. <laughs> they might say, you're right. I'm still going on the voting thing. All right, but if you're a child of God, you have been made special. You've been set apart for a special purpose by Almighty God. You are someone that God wants to use in great ways. And he's writing to those kind of people in a particular place. It was a place called Ephesus. If you read Acts chapter 19 and 20, you find out that Paul had been to this place. And as far as we know, he had ended up staying there longer than any other place he had ever ministered, about two years. We know that God had worked mightily there and that that place was, had a very special place in the heart of the Apostle Paul. Well, about ten years later, the Apostle Paul was in jail in Rome. And many Bible believers, uh, or any, many Bible teachers believe that he wrote Ephesians as a letter to all the churches there in that area of Asia Minor, but he first sent the letter to the church at Ephesus. Now, after he calls them the saints who are there at Ephesus, he says that they are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, that word faithful can be translated faithful, or it can be translated to those who have trusted in Christ. That's what I think he's saying. He's calling them saints because they have trusted in Christ. Not because they've been faithful to Christ, but because they have trusted in Christ. The rest of the book of the Ephesians is going to be clear. We have incredible blessings made available to us. And the reason we have those blessings from God, and we're going to try to uncover as many treasures as we possibly can as we go through the book of Ephesians. And pray for me because this is a thick book and there's a lot of treasure to uncover. And I'm praying that God's going to help me as his servant to help you to discover some of those things but all of that has been made available clearly in the book of ephesians listen very clearly not because of any good things i have done but because i have trusted completely in christ and don't miss the term that i just said in christ one bible commentator says that paul uses this term over 200 times in his writings being in christ in Christ is obviously something that God wants us to grab hold of. It means that we've been joined with Christ, that we've been united with Christ. Listen, like branches to a vine, we are in Christ. Like body parts to a body, we are connected with Christ, in Christ. Our life is found completely in him and because they were in christ all the things that we're going to uncover in the book of ephesians have been made available to them what was paul telling these people he was affirming them he was building them up which we're going to see later in the book of ephesians he was telling them you are god's people you have been cleansed you have been forgiven and chosen because you've trusted in him and paul was saying i paul as a spiritual leader in your life i want to affirm that I want you to know that I see that, that I recognize that, that I notice that in you. You are special to God. And wouldn't it be awesome if you walked up to somebody and every time you met them, every time you got together with that person, there was a sense that... Now, this doesn't mean that, that we shouldn't uh, sometimes receive ministry from other people, okay? All right, we need to be willing to minister to one another. There needs to be a give and take. 
But you know what my heart is? My heart is that when you come into my life, when you see me around town or when you see me at church, that God's spoken to me, especially this week as I've been studying this, that, that you would have a sense that, that you can come to me and when you come to me, you're going to go away a better person. You're going to go away affirmed and encouraged and built up. That I'm going to uh, be a blessing to your life and tell you good things about what God, what I see that God has done in your life. Have you ever had somebody like that? Have you ever had somebody that every time you get together with them, they just affirm you? They just build you up? You know, unfortunately, most of us have never had a person like that in our lives. We need people like that, don't we? We need people who can affirm us and build us up and say, I see this in your life. Maybe we should turn around and say this. Have you ever been that kind of person? Have you ever been the kind of person that when people come around you... Now, again, sometimes we have need and we need to share those needs. But maybe you're the kind of person that actually every time you get together with people, you're pulling from them. You're, you're, you're asking for help from them. You're, can I share all my problems with you? Now, again, we need to be able to share problems with each other, don't we? But, but from your point of view, would God speak to you? Hey, maybe sometimes when I get together with that person, instead of unloading on them, maybe I should allow them the opportunity for me to bless them and to encourage them and to build them up. And that's the third thing that we see in these verses. Paul says in verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to know who we are. We need to affirm who they are, and we need to begin with blessings. In verse 2, that's what Paul does. You know, really everything that Paul has said so far has kind of been introductory. He's saying, here's who's writing, and while he's telling us who's writing, he's, he's kind of giving us some hints about how he views himself. And then he says, here's who I'm addressing, and he kind of, in the process of doing that, gives some hints about how he feels about them. But now, though it's still somewhat introductory, he's really beginning to say what he wants to say in this letter. He begins with blessings. Now, the word blessing doesn't appear until verse 3, but the word blessing means to say a good word. Paul has already said a good word about them. Now, what he's, what he's saying is expressing his desire for them. He wants them to experience grace and peace in their lives. Now, at first glance in English, it just seems nice but not necessarily noteworthy until we realize that these two words, grace and peace, were two of the most commonly used words in Christian greetings in the early church. Now, that makes it have a little more meaning, but, but just the fact that I just told you it was one of the most common greetings could maybe just say, well, even in a Christian context, he was just kind of just saying some pleasantries. But as we look at this letter, we find out that what he's saying here, grace and peace, were not just pleasantries. In fact, they are two of the main themes of the book of Ephesians. Grace is mentioned 12 times, and peace is mentioned 8 times. And they are two of the most important ideas to the Christian faith. Grace is one of, if not the greatest Christian word. Somebody has said it is the gospel in one word, the gospel in a nutshell. It means to receive abundantly, when you don't deserve it. Paul uses the word over and over again. In fact, of the 155 times that it's used in the New Testament, Paul uses it 100 times. Now, when you think about it, he wrote a quarter of the New Testament, but he uses grace two-thirds of the times that it's used in the New Testament. That tells you that Paul was captured by what? 
by the grace of God, the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. God had poured out His blessings on the life of the Apostle Paul, and Paul wanted them to understand that God had untold blessings for them as well. That was his desire for them, was that they would experience the infinite grace of God, that God would pour out His favor on their lives. Then he talked about peace. Now, in our day, when we talk about peace, we think about it kind of like the Greeks did. The Greeks thought about it kind of from a negative slant. They thought about peace in terms of the absence of war, okay? But the Hebrews, like Paul, thought about it as something very positive. It was a word that had very full and very rich meaning to them. Peace to the, to the Hebrew people. You ever heard the word shalom? Okay, they, that's their greeting, actually. That's the word that they use for greeting is the word peace. The word shalom means peace. It means well-being. It means wholeness. It means experiencing fullness and fullness that is given to you by God's presence in your life. And even though it was a familiar Christian greeting, God never wastes ink, does He? And the Apostle Paul didn't waste it as his servant. It's no accident that these words are expressed here. They're critical hints to the message of the rest of the book of Ephesians. In fact, I would say they provide an outline for us. The first three chapters of Ephesians tell us what God has given to us by his grace, and the last three chapters, chapters 4 through 6, tell us what we can experience because of that grace exemplified by the word peace. We can have wholeness. We can have fullness. We can have well-being lived out through our lives. Praise God. If you're here today and you've never experienced favor, I want you to think about that. What do we say? Somebody is somebody's favorite, right? Favor means what? It means that I just, I love you. I do good to you. I see you in a kind way. If we go to a king and say, I request the favor, or or, can you show me kindness? Can you show me favor? It is someone showing us that kindness, that care, that concern. But grace means that kindness, that care, that concern when we really don't deserve it. Have you ever experienced grace before? How many of us in this room have ever messed up and messed up big time? And we need for somebody to show us favor that we don't deserve. And it's hard to find, isn't it? But God offers grace. Paul said, I want to just, I want to just, I just want to say that my desire is for you to be blessed. I want you to experience the reality that though you may not deserve it, though we're all sinners, and we're going to talk about that in the book of Ephesians, that God would just pour out his blessings on you. What an awesome thing to say to somebody that God would give you His peace. How many of us here today, it's hard for you to listen to the message because your stomach is churning. You don't have peace in your life. I don't know the reasons for that. Maybe it's because you don't have peace with God. Or maybe because it's something going on in a relationship with someone else. But you know what? Peace is powerful, isn't it? It's not just the absence of war, the absence of conflict. It's a sense of well-being of wholeness, of of completion. Paul said, I want you to experience that, Christian friends. And all of that would come from God the Father. God the Father, he said. Now that idea of God being a father was not as developed in the Old Testament, but it became a huge thought in the New Testament. He says, I want you to experience grace and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here Paul throws us a curve, doesn't he? He just got through using Christ Jesus twice. Now he says Lord Jesus Christ. Now why does he do that? I don't know why he does that. But you know what? We ought to at least pay attention to it. God's names in the Bible are important. They always signify something special about what God is trying to teach us. Now, I think that probably what's going on here is Paul is including all of the primary names that we know Jesus Christ by. The Lord Jesus Christ. I believe he's probably pointing to the majesty, to the fullness, to the greatness of God, which is going to come out strongly throughout the book of Ephesians. What Paul is saying here is that he hopes that they will experience the grace and peace that only our strong, majestic God, who, by the way, is our Father, can give to us. Isn't that powerful? Now, verse 3 is going to cause us to think that even further, and we're going to look at that more next time. So what I think, that's what I think Paul is saying to them. I want you to experience all of that from God Almighty. Those are pretty nice thoughts to say to somebody, aren't they? That's a pretty good way to start a conversation, isn't it? Whether it's going to be a good conversation, which, by the way, the book of Ephesians is, is not a book where Paul's going to be doing much correcting or doing much, hey, guys, I need to talk to you about what's going on in your church. He's actually painting a beautiful picture here. So whether you're starting a good conversation or whether you're starting one that's not so pleasant, which a lot of his books, he had to deal with some things that were kind of hard. But what do they say? Spoonful of sugar. Helps the medicine go down in a most delightful way. I'm not going to sing it, all right? <laughs> Paul had a humble confidence about who he was. And because of that, that put him in a position to think about them. And he says, I look at you. I'm not thinking about me. I'm not focusing on me. As I look at you, I see this in you. And he told them that. And as I look at you... And as I think about you, I hope this for you. And I, I, I pray and I trust that God is going to bless you in these key ways. Now, I asked you earlier, have you ever had anybody in your life like that? I can think of several key people in my life who fulfilled pieces of that, right? Somebody who was a real, you know, gave me a real sense of, feeling strong about who they were in Christ, and that kind of helped me and encouraged me. Somebody who kind of affirmed me and told me what I meant to them. Somebody who kind of said, you know, I, I want to see God bless your life, and I want to encourage you, all those kind of things. But you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I've got, I can think of one person in my life who, who I've seen all those things through. And can I just tell you something? I want to be around that person more. There is something about being around a person who is humbly confident about who they are in Christ, isn't there? I want to be around people like that because they've understood something about God that I haven't quite got to yet, a security in Him. I mean, I know in my head that I'm going to heaven because I've accepted Christ as my Savior. But if I am in Christ, that ought to change the way I view my life. I am sufficient in Him already, and I can live that out by the way that I treat and deal with other people. I'm not there yet, but every time I'm around that person, I grow a little bit in that. Whenever I'm around that person, they, they always express a desire to affirm all that God is doing in my life. 
mean, every time I hang up with this person, I talk to them a lot on the phone. I hang up the phone with them. I think, I did not even ask them about their family. I did not even say, how are you doing? Or I didn't even say, I appreciate you. They spent so much time being a blessing to me that I was just eating it up and enjoying it. Thanks for caring about me. Isn't that a blessing? Somebody does that for you? I just want to tell you, I see God working in your life. I just want to tell you, I pray for you all the time. I just want to tell you that I'm praying that God is going to bless you, that He's going to give you so much, that He's going to provide for every need that you have. Man, that's powerful, isn't it? Okay, so where are we going with this? In my life, I can think of people that fulfill pieces, but not many that have really done all that. So what does that tell me? It's kind of rare, isn't it? Okay, so here's, here's how we finish the message today. Not going out looking for people like that, but leaving here saying, God, would you make me one? God, it's too bad. Let's don't leave this message in the theoretical. It's too bad that this is how a servant of God would deal with other people, but we see that so very little in our lives. Today, would you just ask the Lord, this week God's been speaking to me as I've dealt with people, as I've prayed about this message, God's been speaking to me about, now listen, I'm not saying, when, I mean, if you, if you went through all that I've just went through, you'd spend 45 minutes saying hello, right? <laughs> okay, but just thinking, when I'm together with people, God, who am I in you? Maybe you're intimidated by the person you talk to. You don't have to be, do you, if you're secure in Christ. God, who am I in you? And God, what do I see in this person that I can affirm in them and let them know? What, what can I say a good word about them? And God, what kind of blessings can I, can I show that I have a desire for their life and that I'm praying that you're going to give to them? I believe if we were those kind of people, people would want to hang around us more, wouldn't they? Church family, could we be a people that know how to start a good conversation? even conversations, even in passing, that we're thinking about, how would God want me to deal with this other person? I believe that's important to God. Amen.